Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Hello, my name is Sean Shields, and today I'll be your host for this SBCA podcast, looking at how component manufacturers across the country are innovating and taking advantage of opportunities in today's market. My guest today is Dean DeHogue, Director of Manufacturing for Standard Building Systems, a US LBM company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dean, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. I'm honored to be part of your podcast series. It's great. <laughs> well, Dean, you know, before we started this, you told me that you grew up in Grand Rapids, right? In the Michigan area? That is correct. So you have a decidedly Midwestern uh, vantage on the truss industry. I, I'm interested. So you also told me that you started working for Wix Lumber when you were 16. How did you transition from the lumber yard into the truss industry? And just tell us a little bit about what the industry was like back then. Sure. So when I started out at Wix Lumber when I was 16 years old, I was stocking shelves and I was waiting on customers in the showroom. I was cleaning. It was a great way for me to learn about the lumber and building materials industry. Wix Lumber had a great training program and I had an opportunity to get into their management field and I also was an assistant manager at one of their stores also in Michigan. During that same time uh, Wix was transitioning to try and compete with some of the big boxes so there was a lot more night hours, weekend hours, and a heavy emphasis on trying to compete at all hours of all days with everybody out in the marketplace. So that's when I made the decision that I wanted to look for something that was a little bit more of a traditional eight to five Monday through Friday job. And I thought that that might happen in the trust industry. So I had an opportunity to go to work for a company called Marquette Fabricators. Marquette Fabricators was located in Sparta, Michigan, just north of Grand Rapids. And I had an opportunity to get into sales, but they wanted me to start out in a kind of a sales training program first. So what I did is I worked on being on the phones. I did a lot of uh, phone sales, taking a lot of orders for trusses on the phone. I learned some basic design work, and it was a great opportunity for me to learn a little bit of everything in the truss industry. So I did that for a little while, and then a sales territory opened up for me. And back then, when you ask what was it like in the truss industry, my training process in the office transitioned to here's a set of car keys, go sell trusses, here's the list of your customers. So there was not a lot of intense training. We've got an incredible amount of training that's available today, but back in the mid 80s, that was something that was definitely not as robust as, as what we've got today. But it was a great opportunity for me to learn on the fly, and I thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of learning sales in the trust industry back in the mid 80s. So I'm just curious, Dean, when you think back to your um, late teenager, early 20s self, and you're given these car keys and like, here's your customers, go sell to these guys. What is it that you sold about trusses? Like, what did you talk to your customers about? How did you get them to buy your trusses back then? Well, during that time, it was very similar to the marketplace conditions that we've got today. It was very busy. There was a lot of work. 
there was a shortage of housing, and it was more what I would call account management than what it is needing to go cold call and find new trust orders with new customers. It was much more pressure on the production side. So it was all a matter of how fast you could get trusses out to the job site for the customer. And working at Marquette Fabricators, we had a little bit of a market advantage because we had a, a large trust plant working three shifts, lots of sales opportunities, and lots of potential on the production side. So my, my emphasis was just that. It was mostly managing accounts, making sure that customers got quotes back on time, and managing their, their order flow. And again, one thing that was true back in the 80s, and I don't know how much it's improved today, but a lot of it was helping lumber yards and builders stay organized so that they were getting trusses when they really wanted them. And that was probably the biggest challenge and what took up a good part of my typical working day. Scheduling. Scheduling, exactly. Everybody's nightmare. <laughs> I don't know how much has changed since then. No, it, it hasn't. <laughs> so you've had an interesting journey throughout your career since then. Uh, can you quickly walk us through some of the various companies that you've worked for then over the years? Sure. Yeah, and they've all been great companies to work for, Sean. Uh, I mentioned the Marquette Fabricators days. Um, that was a, a great opportunity for me. A wonderful group of people, great leadership there. And that company was owned by the Hager family, and the Hager family was known in the Grand Rapids and Michigan area for owning uh, Anderson window distributorships. They had womanized treating plants, lumber distribution, iJoyce distribution, quite a number of, um, of companies that were all focused on the building materials um, and, and basically selling to lumber yards all over the Midwest. And, and that included trust plants. So the Hager family over the years started divesting some of those companies and um, they sold Marquette Fabricators to Trustway. Um, Trustway is a pretty well-known company in the Houston area and our three trust plants that went under the Marquette banner along with three trust plants in the Carolinas that were under the Superior Components banner were all sold to Trustway. So I had a great opportunity to be part of the Trustway team. And, uh, and then I had an opportunity to work for ProBuild for a little while. And then also Zealand Lumber here in the Grand Rapids area. And then I'm currently with Standard Lumber, which is part of USLBM. So again, a number of companies and it's been a great uh, learning process for me. And I've thoroughly enjoyed every single one of those uh, situations that I had. Well, you certainly named a lot of companies that I think most people in this industry have heard of. Uh, but what they might not know or might not have heard of is that uh, through your journey, you've actually had a, uh, witnessed a fair share of, of, I'll say, tragedy and industry hardship. Um, can you talk a little bit about like the fire that happened at the Trustway plant, um, you know, your experience with ProBuild during the downturn and also the tornado that hit Zeeland's plant? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. And I don't, I don't look at them so much as, as tragedy and hardships, Sean. I, I look at them as resume builders. You got to look at them in a, in a positive light. <laughs> there and, we go. And that's what I've tried to do because in each case, I've learned a lot 
and it's helped grow me as a leader and as a, as a manager of, of trust plants. And I think the other part that's been critical through all of those circumstances is that it has allowed me to lead in such a way that the typical guy working in the shop or the person working in the office as a designer that was looking for leadership, looking for direction, when it looked like their world was falling apart because they weren't sure if they were gonna be employed the next day, it gave me a great opportunity to just exercise leadership in such a way that we could let everybody know, you know what? We're gonna get through this together. We'll work on this together. We got a great team here and we're gonna make it happen so that you don't have to worry uh, about what's gonna happen next. And in most cases, there was a very favorable outcome. So yeah, I'll just share a little bit about some of those um, experiences that I had. Uh, when I was at Trustway, um, our Sparta location, which was kind of the mothership of our Michigan operations. We had a couple of smaller plants, but our plant in Sparta um, did burn down and it was on a 4th of July weekend. It was very tragic, uh, catastrophic fire, and it basically um, put about 150 people out of work. And uh, that fire, um, it was just before the start of the last downturn that we had. And understandably, the decision was made not to rebuild. So in that case, um, all of us had to look for new jobs. But at the same time, there was a great team, great camaraderie, and everybody worked together. There was even, it was even to the point where we were all writing letters of recommendation, trying to help everybody find jobs. Uh, in fact, even uh, Larry Wainwright, who was part of SBCA, I had an opportunity to help him uh, find employment. He did work for Standard Lumber for, I think, a, a, about a year or so, because we had a huge project that needed to be accomplished. So I had three designers, a wall panel designer, a floor truss designer, and a roof truss designer come out of that experience and I helped them all work for Standard Lumber so that that particular large project for Grand Valley State University could get built. So it was just a great opportunity for everybody to pull together, help each other find new jobs, and that happened, it went well. Um, I also had an opportunity to um, work at ProBuild and there wasn't anything catastrophic that happened there. That was just a challenge because it was during the time of the downturn and it was basically closing plants and um, reining back in production. That's always a challenge. But again, it was a great team that we had and the group ended up moving to other trust plants in the area. Um, the tornado at Zealand was a really interesting experience because uh, believe it or not, that also happened on a 4th of July weekend. So now um, my current um, employer never wants me to take vacation on 4th of July weekend, and I can't understand why that is. So I don't get any, I don't get any vacation during that, that weekend. But what we had was uh, there was a, a very strong line of tornadoes that came through the West Michigan area, and it was very localized, and it just happened to hop across the, the highway that bordered our property, it hit a dog training facility and a dog kennel across the street, and then it hit our particular trust plant. 
So we had um, we had dogs running all over the neighborhood. Uh, we were helping to to catch dogs so that uh, people wouldn't lose their pets. So it was a it was a tornado that totally leveled our trust plant and our entire office. But the two adjacent companies that were on either side of us were pretty much unscathed. So again, a very narrow line of tornadoes that went through, and it was a total loss. Um, I was on vacation in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan at the time, and I came back. We got everybody together. We put a game plan of how we were going to rebuild. We made sure that the employees knew that we were going to rebuild. And um, what we ended up doing was farming out some work to some competitors that were very helpful, very cooperative, uh, which is great about the competitors in our area. And then we also took our um, production people and we moved them to other plants. So we had them down in our Indiana plant and we ran that plant six days a week, three shifts, so that we could continue to build trusses. We also had one corner of the building that didn't collapse at our Grand Rapids location. So we put up some temporary walls and we cobbled together some production and we got one production line running. So between all of that, we were able to maintain our customers. Our customers were very understanding and cooperative and through it all, it was a good customer experience. So that all went well. And then we went, to, it took us about a, about a year to rebuild, maybe not quite, but a, a year to get completely back to normal again. And uh, it was great because we had the opportunity to basically put together kind of a state-of-the-art trust facility uh, in Grand Rapids, and that was for Zealand Lumber. That's a lot to go through over one's career. I, I'm curious. I mean, you talk about all of those experiences in a very positive light. You know, looking back, um, as you pointed out, they all sort of turned out positively. I'm curious, though, how did all of those experiences sort of influence and shape the management style and the approach that you have today? Well, that's an interesting question that you ask, Sean, because it's easy to look back. Um, I'm in my late 50s now, and when you look back, you think about all the experiences, all the people, all the customers, um, all the challenges, all the changes, the ups and downs of the market, and and, and you think, you know, it's it's easy to think, well, yeah, I'm still the same old guy. But then when you when you actually do a little reflecting, and uh, my wife's good at helping me reflect, um, you think back. And when I was younger, when I was first starting out and got involved in management, sales management, general management, and then I had the opportunity to manage um, multiple locations for Trustway. You know, when when you're young, you kind of it's easy to develop this attitude where, you know, nothing goes wrong. This is just going to keep flying at the same 30,000 feet and, you know, there's no turbulence and it's smooth and it's great results. And, you know, you kind of get this attitude that you've got the world by the tail, but how quickly things can change. And I think that's what's been the the great part of the the learning experience for me in my career is that when you deal with things like fires and tornadoes and uh, companies splitting off and starting new companies, it's easy to fall into a pattern of bitterness, or you can take that and you can say, okay, what am I going to learn through all this? How is this going to make me better? And for me, it's given me an opportunity to 
um, take that attitude of thinking that you've got the world by the tail and stepping back and saying, you know what, I don't have a whole lot to do with all of this. I'm, I'm really blessed. I have a lot of really good people around me. And uh, for me, I, I really needed to focus on the fact that, um, I, I guess the best way to put it is that I need to really work on having a, an attitude and a kind of a servant heart leadership style, which is what I've, I've tried to do through the years. And with that, it's given me the opportunity to, to mentor some people, to um, allow others around me to grow into some positions where they might not have had the opportunities before. And for me, it's been great because I've just made so many friends in the industry and even for competitors, even for companies that, um, for people that I had never met before, where they just wanted to, out of the blue, they would just, you know, I'd like to pick your brain. I'm wondering if you can help me with this situation, or I'm wondering if you can help me with that. Um, for example, when, when we rebuilt the location at Zealand, it was really a fine state-of-the-art location, and we had a lot of visitors particularly for people who were looking at alpine equipment, because that was kind of like an alpine showcase. So we had people from all over the country, and, and even we had some people that visited from Europe. And through those meetings, I had the opportunity to meet some people who said, hey, what you're doing here is great, and I'm brand new at this. I need some help. So through that process, I met a lot of people, and I had the opportunity to just share some of my experiences share some of the tools that I had developed through the years, and I really enjoyed doing that. And the, the other part of that whole servant leadership aspect of management is it also allowed me to, as the businesses grew that I worked for, it allowed me to hunt for people, to promote people, to surround myself with people who had a similar, I'll just call it, um, worldview, similar worldview, and, and they could work out of that same heart that I had. So that's kind of a, a long answer to that, but it's been an important journey for me. All right, Dean. Well, that's that's definitely very interesting. Um, I'm curious. Now you're at Standard Building Systems, uh, which is part of the US LBM network. And uh, I want to know, how does that servant uh, attitude that your style of management fit in with US LBM's approach and the, the culture that they're trying to develop overall? What, what is it that you like about US LBM as well? I'll try to put in words what that's like because it's a culture and it's, it's hard to describe sometimes, but I think the best way to describe it or the best way to kind of portray it is that there is a huge amount of of autonomy to these individual locations, to the different companies that are part of USLBM. It's not so much USLBM as it is, it's this group of very entrepreneurial people who have had highly successful businesses and they continue to be that way. So just to give you a couple of examples um, relating back to the culture, USLBM has what's called the pillars of excellence, and this is part of the philosophy, the culture. It's very, um, it's very evident, and it's not just talked about. It's lived, it's breathed, it's part of, it's part of our everyday 
work about that we're doing. To the point of when I started at USLBM, one of the first things that I had to participate in, and I had the pleasure of participating in, was what was called USLBM University. And it was where people that were new to USLBM had an opportunity to hear from the executive team specifically about that culture. So that culture was explained, it was talked about, there was stories, there was examples. And I'll just run through what they are very quickly. There's only five of them. Um, the first one is people, and there's a great emphasis on people, empowering people, um, allowing the people to be free thinking, um, not the micromanagement of people. Um, the second one is partnerships. We've got just awesome partnerships with vendors, with our customers, especially when it comes to the trust industry with, with like the Alpines and the MyTex of the world. Those relationships, those partnerships are amazing. And then the operational excellence, of course, is always important. Um, the fourth one is continuous improvement. And then the last one is empowerment. And I wanna jump back to the continuous improvement one because I think that's the one that ties in most with your question. As continuous improvement is one of the pillars of excellence at USLBM, there is a tremendous amount of emphasis on running lean operations, looking at ways to streamline um, operations, particularly in the manufacturing industries, but also it's a process of taking the people that are on a leadership tract and giving them the tools through some very, what I'm gonna call intensive training. I had the opportunity to, um, to go through the belting process. So again, a lot of this is the, the Lean Six Sigma continuous improvement belts that you hear about so often. But uh, I would have to say that in the USLBM culture, that belting process is so practical for everyday operations to the point of where I've um, gotten my white belt training, my yellow belt training, and I just recently completed my green belt training. Those belts involved training at University of Wisconsin. So I had a chance to go to your great state and visit Madison. And, and it was just a, a very intensive, very, well done, highly professional, and it just tools, books, workbooks um, that that I'll use for the rest of my life. And that continuous improvement has just paid off dividends all through so many different aspects, companies um, of USLBM. So there's a, a great amount of emphasis. And for me personally, that's one of the key parts of USLBM that I absolutely love. So Standard has these three trust plans. What does that look like in practical terms of being part of the US LBM network as you're running those three trust plans? So we've got three components plants in the Michigan area. Um, two of them are trust plants. One of them is a wall panel plant and they are great facilities. They've got a lot of really exceptional people um, on the design staff, um, on the management team, and particularly on the production floors. And the, the part that I really appreciate about these three locations is that as the business has grown and as we've 
worked on adding more customers and expanding into new markets. The part that has been just a breath of fresh air for me has been not only the culture part that I talked about, but also the support um, from USLBM. I've heard this so many times and it is so true um, that if there's anybody at USLBM who has a skill set in a certain area that relates to something that I need, I have full access to that person. And that person's approach is always, we're here to help. Um, what is it that we can do to help you? And, and I just appreciate that, uh, that sort of approach to it. The, the other part of it, when it comes to the three production plants in Michigan, is that not only the people resources, but also the capital resources. Um, so it's been, I shouldn't say easy, but it's been very accessible to get trucks, trailers, uh, production equipment, people, whatever it is. If there's a case for growing sales and expanding territories and moving into new markets, the resources on the capital side have been great from USLBM, but I'd say I've more appreciated the resource of the people. There has just been a wealth of knowledge for any situation that comes up, and it has been truly a breath of fresh air for, for how, how that process has gone. So Dean, you've run the gamut. Uh, working for a lot of these large companies, looked at how um, different uh, companies with their resources choose to employ those resources to try to put out the best product possible. Um, you've sold trusses, you've built trusses, now you've managed uh, trust production facilities, you've sort of overseen you know, the whole thing. When you look at the truss industry, what in your mind then do you think is, if you had to name one thing, what is the biggest strength of our industry? Well, so for me, it has been about 35 years in this industry. And my approach or my, my answer to that, Sean, would be that it's the people. There are some absolutely amazing people in this industry that I've learned from. But in addition to that, it's not just the people that I've learned from, but when you look at the designers, when you look at, again, I'm gonna talk about the support vendors on the software side of the trust industry. It is amazing to me that uh, through all these people, through the processes, we're still just taking lumber and plates and affixing them together in such a way that a house or a school or a bank, whatever it is, that this building gets built and if it weren't for the skill sets of the people that we've got in this industry, there would be no way that all of this construction would be getting accomplished. And you hear so much about labor shortages, and I understand that. But without the people and without the great companies that are in our industry, this stuff wouldn't be getting built. So it amazes me that we can take a fair, I'm going to call it fair to partly cloudy, as far as quality set of blueprints, and we can turn it into a great finished product out at the job site because of the great people that we've got in this industry. So let me turn that around. I mean, that's a great strength to sort of recognize that um, we do a great job utilizing the, the intellectual property that we as an industry collectively have. What's our greatest weakness then? 
Well, I, I think it ties back to the last answer I gave you as far as the people. We, we do a great job, but I think we sell ourselves short, Sean. I think that the trust industry is, is still very competitive, but I, I think there's times when our product has turned into a commodity and it still is a highly specialized product. It requires a lot of human touch to get it out to the job site. So I, I think we sell ourselves short when it comes to pricing, when it comes to the value that we portray. I don't think we sell ourselves enough out in the marketplace. And, uh, and, and I think there's some work that we can do to communicate that value and communicate what we're doing. For me, when I give a general contractor or a residential builder or an architect a plant tour and they see what goes into producing a set of trusses, the light bulb goes on and they understand that this isn't just pulling lumber off of a rack or hardware off of a shelf. This is a highly specialized industry with a tremendous amount of risk, but um, but also a, a lot of reward if it goes well. Your answers may have touched upon this a little bit, but I'm curious, when you look at the, the residential construction industry today, if you could snap your fingers and change one thing about it, what would you change? What would you like to see just operate in some fundamentally different way? Well, there's a few things that come to mind and, you know, we all talk about scheduling and what a challenge scheduling is and how do you keep your builders organized and how do you try to get better blueprints. And I think those are industry challenges that are always going to be there. But what, what I see is I, I'm still, and I know there's a lot of people that are fascinated by this, but I am as well. I'm fascinated by the involvement of companies that are trying to disrupt the way that the components industry is happening. The disruptors like the Integras and the Kateras, um, we, we have a company in Michigan that's trying a similar path for that. And none of us know how successful or when they will achieve a certain amount of success, but they're on to something. They're on to fixing the scheduling problems, the organization problems, the blueprint problems by being vertically integrated to where they can control those things. So that part to me, I continue to watch, I follow them closely and I've, I've learned a lot. I've had a chance to talk to some people from some of those companies. So that's the part that I think is going to be a challenge going forward is how can we improve on those organizational scheduling um, things in the marketplace, how can we influence that unless we own them? So I know that there's trust plants that are drawing their own blueprints. I think that's a great step to improving the process. I know that there's lumber yards and other companies that are controlling the labor out at the job site. That also improves the communication and the scheduling and the organization. So I guess I don't really have one set answer there, but I think that all kind of gets all bundled up together. Mm -hmm. Well, the, yeah, the the integration piece is is certainly uh, one of those topics that we are talking a lot about, right, in our industry right now. What 
parts of the process should component manufacturers try to have control of other than uh, just the truss manufacturing and supplying this structural framing? I mean, I guess for you, if you could take standard in any one of those directions, um, I'm just curious, where would you want to start? Well, we're kind of working on all of them together. Um, probably the one thing that I have thought about the most and given the most attention to ended up being my greenbelt project for when I went through my, my greenbelt training this past year. So when USLBM um, has people take their greenbelt, there's a project that has to come along with it. So you have to pick um, something exactly like what you were talking about. What's the problem? What's, what's something that you would like to see changed? And your greenbelt project is going to be fixing it changing it, solving it. So my project was particularly with organizing commercial wall panel projects. So if you can think of a wall panel project um, that's, that's a commercial job, standard lumber has really struggled. And I, and I think this is probably a universal problem, is you can't do any design work on a commercial wall panel project until you have all your window openings, your door openings, your shower sizes, tub sizes. There's just a, an endless laundry list of you need all of these things in place before you can do good wall panel design. So that was my project and it was important enough to standard that that was assigned to me as my Greenbelt project and we have made some, some great strides in improving what I'm going to call the information gathering process for doing wall panel design. So for me, I think the next step is to grab a couple more of those pain points and turn them into regular continuous improvement, Lean Six Sigma type projects to where we pick them off one at a time and get better at doing those things that we are talking about before as far as the scheduling and the organizing and uh, getting better blueprints. So one at a time, we'll pick them off. <laughs> well, I wish you good luck. <laughs> All right, so last question for you. Um, you've done a lot of these trainings. You've been focused on uh, lean processes. Uh, you've obviously done a lot of leadership training and management. Um, do you have any recommendations for, I don't know, books, authors, speakers, podcasts, courses? Uh, that you would recommend to other uh, managers in the component industry of uh, things that were very insightful for you, uh, maybe transformed the way you thought about something that you would recommend? Yeah, I, I think first of all, the first step for somebody who's interested in learning more about trust plant leadership, uh, running a trust plant, um, how, do you, how do you change the culture at your trust plant? Uh, a lot of that, I, for me, the first step is to really get engaged in social media. For me, LinkedIn has been a huge part of that. I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn and I've got a few favorites. So I'll just run through a few of my favorites. Um, on, the, on the whole leadership side, John Maxwell is one of my favorite authors. He's got some great books. Um, I also have a favorite uh, lean person. His name is Paul Akers. And he's got a, a just a wonderful read. It's a little book called Two Second Lean. And that is kind of my handbook. That stays in my backpack all the time. 
Um, I also, I've read a lot of Jim Collins, Pat Lencioni, um, and then also one of my favorites was Reading the Goal by Eli Goldratt. Um, and then there's a new author that has just kind of come on the scene recently that um, his name is Travis Bradbury. And the reason I like him is because he's writing a lot about emotional intelligence. And that's something that you hear a lot about um, in the workplace. You hear a lot about companies who have a struggle with people uh, that are lacking emotional intelligence. And I, I think that's an important attribute for if you're a hiring manager is making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who are in touch with their emotional intelligence. So those have been some of the ones that I follow um, and they've been good. I've not got much into podcasts yet, but that's the next thing that I, I'd like to learn more from. But uh, I'm still an old fashioned guy. I love, I love having a book that's got real pages in front of me and that I can sit down by the fire at night and read. Well, just be careful, Dean. Uh, now that you've done this podcast, you won't ever be able to turn back. Okay. <laughs> well, Dean, thank you very much for taking time to join us on this podcast. I'd also like to thank our listeners for spending this time with us and hopefully gaining some insight from Dean on how to capitalize on today's market and uh, some of the ways to approach management in the trust industry. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. Thank you for listening to SBCA's podcast, Component Connection. We are committed to bringing you a variety of information via this podcast. Please email your feedback or suggestions for future topics to podcast at sbcindustry.com. 